Please turn to page 948 in your Bible. Today's message is titled, The Sign of the Times. We'll be reading Romans 13. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to conscience, I'm sorry, for to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay all to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except for love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. And any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, and not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thank you, Tom. Pretty much ever since Jesus went back to heaven, people believed that the end time was near. Even right here in this passage, Paul says in Romans 13, verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. You know, we could say that each and every day, because every day salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, and it will be each and every day until salvation comes back. Another example in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, Paul says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And I can imagine that. What if you were a believer and somebody told you the resurrection has already happened? Would that get you a little worked up, even though we know the truth? We know that it's not going to happen without us knowing about it? But that was a little disturbing to these people. That was Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus was mentioned one other time 
I forget which book. I looked it up. I was going to write it down. But he was a troublemaker. Philetus, this is the only time he's ever mentioned in the Bible. And I'm not defending them, but I could tell you that there might be a good reason why they believed the resurrection had already taken place. This next next passage is one that I really love, and you don't really hear it very often. It's the account of Jesus' death found in Matthew, and it's this particular account is only in Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 53. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now think about that. People that you knew were dead, all of a sudden are alive and in the city. What would you think? Kind of sounds like a resurrection to me, doesn't it? But that is not the resurrection. That was only because of Christ's death. And we don't really know the whole story about why these two were stirring up trouble, but obviously they were causing problems. Some other examples of people believing that the end is coming. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. A lot of these verses I'm taking are from the NIV version, just in case you're wondering. James says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. First John chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And that was over 2,000 years ago. They believed that they were in the end times. They believed that the end was coming. And even more recent examples that most of us are more familiar with December 21st, 2012. Anybody know what that was? The last day on the Mayan calendar. It ended so people believed the world was going to end. As though the Mayans had some kind of insight to God's plan for the end of the world. Guess what? They were wrong. 
Heaven's Gate. Remember that group? They are the ones that believed there was a spacecraft following the Hellbob Comet that would take them to heaven. And I want to say 39 people all committed suicide so they could hop on that spacecraft and get to heaven. I don't think they made it. I know they didn't make it. And what about David Koresh in 93, the wacko from Waco? Had people convinced he was a prophet? 80 people died after the complex burned down, after the FBI and ATF had a two-month siege. Now, quite frankly, it's not hard to believe that we are in the last days if you look around at the things that are going on and compare it to what the Bible says about the last days. Whether it's happening right now or not, we don't know. Only God knows. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, Paul says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. You know, some people might think that Jesus is coming back soon, so I'm just going to chill out, sit back, relax, take it easy. I don't need to go sticking my neck out or doing extra stuff. I'm just going to wait because he's going to take us to heaven. That'll be good. Now, Paul had something to say about that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 15. It says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And I think most people, when they hear that someone is idle, they think that, you know, they don't do their share of the work, they don't help, they just kind of lazy. And often that's the case, and a lot of it, I believe, Paul was talking about here. 
However, I want you to think about another idea of what it means to be idle. I'm going to just tell you a little story here. There was a preacher who started a new job at a church. He came in the first Sunday, and he got up, and he preached a great sermon. Man, the people just loved it. And on the way out, they were saying, great job, preacher, looking forward to next week. No, he comes back next week, and he gets up, he preaches the same exact sermon again. And people start looking at each other like, does he not realize that he just did that last week? Is this guy nuts or what? So afterwards, there was one brave soul who came up to him and said, Pastor, do you know that you just preached that sermon last week? He says, yes, I do. And until you people can take care of those issues that we talked about last week, we ain't moving on to anything else. Right? So that's kind of my thought of what it is to be spiritually idle. Okay? You're not growing. You're not walking with Jesus. You're no closer to him today than you were yesterday or last week or last month or last year. Walking with Jesus every day is what keeps you from being spiritually idle. And that brings us to our first point. We cannot follow Jesus unless we are moving. And I've talked about this before. Try to follow somebody out the door without getting out of the pew. You can't. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to move. You can't sit where you are. Imagine someone who says they're going to swim across the English Channel. They jump in the water. They start treading water. And they're treading water. And they're treading water. And three hours later, they're in the same spot, just treading water. Now, would you go out and tell somebody, I saw somebody swimming across the English Channel? Or would you say, I saw somebody swimming in the English Channel? There's a big difference. Being in the water isn't necessarily swimming. It's not necessarily making progress. Someone who talks about Jesus is not always the same as someone who walks with Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? We are called to talk the talk and walk the walk. Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Paul also said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Preach the word. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, each of us needs to ask ourselves a question. What is our ministry? What is our ministry? We're all called to tell people about Jesus Christ. But we all have our own unique place that we can do that in. Just a quick side note on verses 3 and 4 from what I just read. It says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I talked last week about typing into Google, what was the phrase I used? Homosexuality is a gift from God. When you go home, and it don't have to be Google, it can be any search engine, try, can a man have a baby? Out of all the many yes responses, I thought this one was interesting. Yes, it's possible for men to become pregnant and give birth to children of their own. In fact, it's probably a lot more common than you might think. Well, certainly a lot more common than I thought. How about you guys? In order to explain, we'll need to break down some common misconceptions about how we understand the term man. Wow, after all these years, somebody's going to finally explain to me what a man is. You talk about itching ears. Quite frankly, we could go on and on and on about all the teachers out there that are willing to say what those itching ears want to hear. You could probably make a whole sermon series out of it. But that's not where I want to go today. I want to touch on another point out of our main scripture that I feel is very important, especially today. Romans 13, 1 through 14. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. And those will resist, who resist, will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the man who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
First Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. You know, we're called to pray for our leaders, regardless of whether we like them or not, whether we voted for them or not. They are our leaders. Believe it or not, there are Christians who won't pray for some leaders because they don't like them. So not only do we need to pray for those leaders, we need to pray for ourselves. That we will see those people through God's eyes and see those, love those people with God's heart. And that's something that I pray on a regular basis. Is that God would help me to see people through his eyes and love them with his heart because... Quite frankly, I cannot do it on my own. There's a lot of unlovable people out there. Some of them in authority. Think about this. President Trump was working very hard to come to some sort of a peace agreement with North Korea. And I know that other people in authority fought that. They mocked it. And I'm willing to bet that there was Christians out there that prayed that it wouldn't happen so that he wouldn't get credit or hoped that it wouldn't happen so that he wouldn't get credit for doing something good. Can you imagine praying against peace? What's wrong with that picture? We should have been on our knees when he was doing that. Asking God to work it out. Asking God to give him the wisdom. Because Lord knows he needs a lot of it. All of our leaders do. Our government has become a three-ring circus. We are called to pray for our leaders. All of them. Each and every one of them. Not just the ones we like. So are we in the end times? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe we'll be around another thousand years before Christ comes back. How should we be living? Like each day is our last. And also, like we're going to be here for a long, long time. And like God has a lot of stuff for us to do that we've got to get busy doing. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
We need to know what our ministry is. We need to know how God wants to use us in our unique set of circumstances to preach the word. And preaching the word doesn't mean you have to stand up here in front of everybody. You can preach the word sitting next to your coworker. You can preach the word to the person in the grocery store. If you're not sure what your ministry is, how God wants to use you, I'll be happy to ask or ask me. I'll be happy to talk to you and pray with you about it. How do we want to live each and every day? God gave me this thought. Every day, imagine ourselves giving a report to Jesus Christ at the end of the day. What did I do today? Who did I minister to? Who did I tell about God? What did I not do so right? Think about that every day before you go to bed. That you were given Jesus Christ a report of how you lived your life that day. Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or something a little less than that? I know when I thought about this, I was pretty convicted. So I'm going to ask all of you to think about that. Just try it for a few days. I also want to ask you all to please pray for our leaders. They need it. Our country needs it. We're in a sad sort of affairs right now. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, you are an awesome God. And Lord, I know the things that are happening in our world today haven't come as a surprise to you. Your word told us over 2,000 years ago that these things would happen. And Father God, sometimes we lose track of what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to feel. Sometimes we get angry at people. And your word tells us that we need to love those people. Not only do we need to love them, we need to pray for them. There's a lot of angry feelings in our country today, Lord. And I pray that you help us not to get sucked up into that. That we truly would see people with your eyes. That we would learn to love them with your heart. The way that we would realize, Lord, that we're not very lovable ourselves. But yet you love us. Help us to share that love with others. Give us wisdom, Lord God, to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt what our ministry is, what purpose you have for our life, Lord, wherever we are, whatever we do, Lord. No matter where we work, no matter what is going on in our lives, we can always preach the word to others by being an example of Jesus Christ. Give us that boldness, Lord. Give us that commitment. Give us that unquenchable desire 
to walk as Jesus did, to follow him by getting up and moving and doing what we need to do. Lord, we ask all of this for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.